0: So next week, we're going to be back in Romans chapter 3. We're going to finish it up. It's going to be wild, so don't miss that. But today, we have a special, not just a special uh, update from Megan Adams and special worship leader with Wendy Shedding, but we have a special speaker, uh, Mel Everson, who is backed by popular demand. I know you guys love it when he preaches, and he uh, has been a spiritual leader in our church for many, many years and is also a great friend to me. So uh, Mel, come on up and... uh, We'll have you uh, share. I know he's got a good one. No, no birds this time, though, right? <laughs> he did that great one on the bird. Remember the bird? One? That was great. Oh, right. Want me to pray for you? Yes, yes please. Okay. Father, just thank you for Mel and his ministry and our friendship and just the impact he's made on so many lives. And just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him now, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right. Thank you. Okay, I'll let that be the prayer for, for, the, for the message today. Uh, it's always a privilege to be able to speak, and um, I don't take that for granted. I feel honored for that, and I'm blessed in doing so, and I hope you will be blessed. I, I was speaking to Rob earlier, and I want to share that with you. Kind of brace yourselves, because it's not going to be the same type of message as the last time with the birds, it's very convicting it was very convicting for me in preparing for it 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 was very hard for me to prepare this so i'm just going to give that as a as a um hang on tight kind of a saying um the title of the message is overcoming myself overcoming myself and what led to this um a few months ago the men's group and we, that I'm a part of, we were going through a series of segments based on a book that Steve Gallagher wrote. It's called I, The Root of Sin Exposed. And really, it's a book about pride and self. And we were going through that, and someone had said we were going through one of the particular segments that a lot of people need to hear that. And I guess that stuck with me when a few weeks later, Pastor Chuck asked me to speak. And so as I prayed what I would speak about, um, it just kept coming back to, um, to this. Not, not everything from this book verbatim, but I will share some excerpts from the book as far as it relates to the various forms of pride, which may come as an education for us. Because in my mind, I thought there's only one pride. And the first one is probably the one we'll think of. But there's other forms of pride, even in ways that we think we're so humble, and yet it's pride. And so I'll share some of that and share how we can overcome our self. All right. So this book, the segments in it dealt a lot with the various forms of pride and how to overcome that. In this book, the first focus is to take a hard look at I, self, or what we call the self-life. It's also a look at pride and how we all know where pride originated. Lucifer, he took his eyes off of Yahweh, the God of creation, and turned his focus on himself, his self. Lucifer wanted to be like God. And pride and rebellion was birthed. Lucifer was now Satan, the adversary. And he was thrown out of heaven. Then at the fall, when Adam and Eve were disobedient to one command, sin entered into this world. And the core of human's fallen nature became self. This self or pride can manifest itself itself in many ways. And here's a brief description of those manifestations as mentioned in Steve Gallagher's book. First one, top and center. Some characteristics of this pride are arrogant pride, boastful pride, know-it-all pride, and vain pride. We may be familiar with arrogant and boastful pride when we remember Muhammad Ali. I'm showing my age now. He was the world heavyweight title, world champion three times in the 60s and 70s. In more recent times, we may think of Cam Newton when he was the quarterback with the um, Carolina Panthers. Now, the driving force... In this top and center attitude is, as Steve Gallagher put it, quote, I am more important than you. And if need be, I will promote my cause at your expense. I am more important than you. And if need be, I will promote my cause at your expense. That's top and center pride. Now, there's another type of pride, kind of on another spectrum. It's protecting the inner sanctuary pride. This includes super sensitive pride, unapproachable pride, and self-protective pride. You know, when I learned about the self-protective eye pride, that was an eye-opener for me. You see... I was shy now there's a difference between shy and introverted but I was shy and in that shyness it was actually a sin and what's the difference as I thought about now I didn't know this at the time um, when I was a kid younger I was not shy I was more extroverted, I guess, you know, just your normal, happy-go-lucky, outgoing kid. Of course, devious, mischievous on top of all that. And something happened in my middle school years where I then became more shy and introverted. Why? Because of the feelings of inferiority and insecurity I felt about myself. So, and I didn't know this cognitively, but Something going on within me made me, as a defense mechanism, to become shy. Now I'm pushing people away. Now it's, it's the opposite, but it's still pride. But I must say this. There's a difference between shy and introvert. Introverts are what God designed. There's introverts and extroverts, just as there are the tall and the small. But we have to think about where is this shyness coming from? Is it, is it me being protective is, or am I just naturally an introvert? Now, we learned that the top and center pride is promoting my cause at your expense. But this protecting the inner sanctuary form of pride is more like I'm going to protect my rights at your expense. In that, we are closing off people. I don't, I can't, I can't get close to you. We're, we're depriving the opportunity of being within some people's life. And that's pride. In the same way that the arrogant pride pushes people away. Another form of pride, perfection. Perfectionism can be a form of pride that needs to be exposed. In the same way that there are ways in which protecting the inner sanctuary are not necessarily pride, there are times perfectionism is not necessarily wrong. Some examples may be with music, with sports, with art or a skill. We should strive for perfection to do our very best. Usually, in the case of it's the focus on this subject, not itself. When we're striving to, to, to write that perfect song, to, to excel at the sport, or to, to make this art as best as we can, our focus is on that. It's not on, oh, i got to look good. I, 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 I can't, it, can't be, it can't be flawed. It can't be wrong. Mm, that's, that's where it crosses the line, and now it's about self. However, there is a type of perfectionism that is rooted in pride when, like these other forms of pride, it is about myself. I would be so obsessed with looking perfect because I could not bear the idea of being seen with a flaw. Hmm. A manifestation of perfection pride is a critical spirit. And that is what we see in the Pharisees. When Jesus rebuked or corrected the Pharisees, it was usually because they were displaying perfectionism pride. Another another manifestation is self-condemnation. Believe it or not, self-condemnation or false humility is a form of pride. It's the point where we isolate ourselves from people, avoid others, and beat ourselves up. If we're thinking all these negative thoughts about ourselves, I'm no good and things like that, what are we thinking about? We're thinking about self. When we take our focus off of that and think about God and how he's forgiven us, how he's made us wonderfully created, blessed, then our focus is not on self. It's on God. We must remember Romans 8, 1. When we think about those things, that condemnation or I'm not worthy of. Remember what Romans 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation because God has forgiven us. If God's forgiven us, we need to also forgive ourselves. Another form of pride, self-sufficiency pride. Now, this was not in Steve Gallagher's book. I had a lot of of, forms of pride myself, and when I was thinking about this, and the Lord was convicting me, that's that's a pride for you, that's a pride for you, that's a pride for you, I thought about the self-sufficiency, and yes, that was a form of pride in myself. Now, there's nothing wrong with being self-sufficient. It can be a good thing. However, when there comes a time when we need people's help, and yet we're too stubborn to ask for help, Or, when help is offered to us and we're too prideful to receive it, now it has become sin. That's self sufficient pride. There may be something we should do, but as the saying goes, our pride gets in the way. And we're actually, it's where ourself has now become our enemy. Hindering us, preventing us to receive the blessing that God has for us. Now there's spiritual pride. Hmm. The previous forms of pride are common to believers and unbelievers alike. Everybody experiences those to one degree or another, or maybe one type of pride to another. However, spiritual pride is only found in the church. This is when one imagines or acts as though they're at a level of spiritual maturity for which they have not actually arrived. We as believers are called to grow spiritually and to mature. However, there is this obsession about appearance when our self has crossed over to spiritual pride. It's when we're more concerned about how we look to people rather than to God. Again, here's the focus. Self rather than God. God, he knows us. He knows everything about us. And we're not going to impress him. So we can just be ourselves before God and appreciate whatever place that God has us for that time, for that moment. Now. Now. This form of spiritual pride also includes the fear of man. And when I say fear of man, I'm not talking about like a phobia. It's not like we're afraid of men. It's not that. But rather, it's an obsession of what other people may think about our self. We're obsessed by what other people will think of me. Ed Welsh wrote a book titled, When People Are Big and God Is Small. The subtitle is Overcoming Peer Pressure, Codependency, and Fear of Man. What it comes down to is that our self is more concerned about us than God. We're more concerned about what others would think about us or how we can make them appreciate us more, make they cause them to like us more. We're more obsessed about that than we are about just appreciating that God loves us right as we are. And we have an audience with him continually You know, it's humorous when we think about that. And also the Pharisees. They were an example of this pride. In Matthew chapter 23, we read of the ways in which Jesus confronted the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Which this hypocrisy was rooted in themselves. A manifestation of spiritual pride can be seen we were not only obsessed with our appearance... But we may also be obsessed with making our theological and doctrinal views known, or we may become argumentative about that. Notice it's not about I have to prove this point spiritually, but it's about I have to prove my point. It's about myself, and that's where it crosses over to sin. Okay. As with all of these forms of pride, we see it's about self. And the Bible teaches us a lot, not only about pride, but about self and what has to happen to self. So that is where we come to the place of overcoming. And I chose this title overcoming myself because Friendship ministry is an overcomers discipleship ministry. And I like to focus on messages that are about overcoming because God wants to give us the victory in all these various areas of our life. And he can give us the victory over ourself. And in doing so, it's because we will be a blessing to others. We will be pleasing to God. And as we will see, we will end up being more blessed then, if we had all the pride we could imagine. Because as we see in life, as we read in the Bible, destruction goes before our pride. We will be destroyed. We, we, will, we will fall apart. So there's no place where pride will have any kind of a blessing toward us. All right, overcoming. Now that we know, we, we, we understand the ways that our self has become our enemy we need to know how to overcome our self this begins with the need to be broken I told you this was hard it was hard for me to be broken as well our self is like a wild stallion and it does whatever it desires and it's of no use or obedient to its master our self is on the throne, and it's time for us to dethrone ourself. And that's what we're going to look at today, in dethroning ourself. In Psalm thirty-four eighteen, we read, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and save such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And to those who have a contrite spirit. Contrite spirit, what is that? We have an example of a broken heart and this contrite spirit in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus is speaking. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to pray, at the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes at all I possess. And the tax collector... Standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this passage, Jesus infers that the tax collector humbled himself. Humility. Humility is the antidote to the opposite of the pride that the Pharisee displayed. Romans 12.3 says, Gives us insight into what humility is. For I say. Through the grace given to me. To everyone who is among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one. A measure of faith. Romans 12.3. When Paul says this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's actually giving us some insight into how we think about ourselves. Very plain and simple. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. That would be pride. But to think soberly, which that also means not to think bad about ourselves either. See that the soberness in that. All right. More insights on humility. Matthew Henry, the commentator, explains this definition of humility. Quote, Humility is an estimate of ourselves as we are. It is a willingness to be known and talked of and treated just according to truth. Unquote. Wow. That's humility, to be known, to be talked of, just as we are. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something if we wanted that to be our, um, what, is, what do you think about this person? And they would say, exactly as we are. Not worse, but not better than we are either. When we find humility, we then see ourselves smaller in our own mind. And God becomes bigger. We are able to recognize our selfishness and then we can repent and then be submissive to the Lord. Humility. It's a paradox. You know, there are many paradoxes in the Bible. The Christian life is a paradox. You know, I was praying about what I was going to speak on and I was telling the Lord, I want to talk about paradox. No, you've got to talk about this. No, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> But it would be funner to talk about paradox, but there are many, and it's fun to to think about that. And it's why the world thinks we're crazy, because everything's opposite, and humility is a paradox. We think in humility that we're losing out, but the reality is that we gain far more than we would otherwise, in James 4:10 we read this Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up Usually we react in pride because we feel cast down less than so we got to lift ourselves up but in humility God lifts us up Now that is much better we would much rather have God lift us up than ourselves Two authors of the New Testament letters wrote this very same quote, which we're all familiar with. Did we know that it was written by two authors? In First Peter 5.5 five, and also in James 4.6, they both write, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God blesses us with grace when... We are humble. In fact, this grace is so much that we can actually become irresistible to God. Can you imagine that? Irresistible to God? That's the truth. Steve Gallagher, before he wrote this book... He was writing a lot of books and, and studies and, and, and preaching a lot about pride because as he, by his admission, he was a very proud man. So when God humbled him, he had to expose it all. So before he wrote this book, he wrote this book, Irresistible to God. And some of what's in here is also in here, but he puts a lot of focus on how in that grace, God gives us grace when we're humble. He's drawing near to us. In one of my sermons, I shared how we can have friendship with Jesus, and I shared how in that friendship, we can be as close to God as we want to be. See, with people, we want to be close to people, but some people want to push us away. We can only be as close to them as they will allow us to be. But with God, He will allow us, He will come as close to us as we desire to be, to the point of it's it's irresistible. When we come to him with that humility, imagine that closeness we can have with God, the creator of our world and universe. There's a bonus blessing. Psalm 149.4. We read this. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Humility means taking self off the throne, and that's when we receive that salvation. Um, if we can put the illustration up about the uh, self or Christ being on the throne, <clears throat> we, we, when I first came to this church, we were going, many people were going through this one-to-one discipleship book. And as I was going through it, there was this illustration in there. It's hard to, hard to read the print, but I'm going to read it. But you can see the three different circles and what they represent. And it, this illustration stuck with me all these years because it really puts in picture, as a picture tells a thousand words, of the difference of what it is when ourself is on the throne or when Christ is on the throne. So we see these three circles. The first circle on the left represents the life of a natural man, the person who has never received Christ. Christ stands outside the door of the heart. He's seeking entrance. The interests represented by the dots of this life are directed by self. And as we see, everything is chaotic. And that's what happens when our self is on the throne, our life ends up in discord. The second circle, the one in the middle, represents the life of the spiritual man, the person who has invited Christ into his life and allowing him to direct and empower his life. When the interests are directed by Christ, the result is harmony in God's plan. And finally, the third circle, the one on the right, that's the life of the self-centered person of the flesh, whereas the Bible says carnal. The person received Christ, but that person you see self is on the throne, even though they received Christ and as a result, the life is in chaos. In order to dethrone ourselves, we want to see that middle circle in our own life. And in order for that to happen, in order for Jesus to take that throne, we must first accept Jesus into our life, into our inner sanctuary, into our heart. And by believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he died for our fallen nature, for that self, for all that pride. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and now he can come and live into our hearts. Pastor Chuck has stressed the importance of being born again. And that is what happens when we dethrone ourself and we're born again. Now Christ is on the throne and self is crucified. The self is now dead and I want to share a testimony of how this has worked in my life. And I can understand these different examples. Um, growing up, um, I, my parents would have me go to um, different churches. They didn't go to church, but they would have me go to different churches. And one particular family took me to a church when I was a teenager. And I remembered that. And then when I was about 22, I uh, had a, a woman living with me, and she was married too. And so we, I guess we got a spiritual moment. We thought we got to go to church, probably Easter time. So we went to church. and Well, we'll go to the church I went to when I was a teenager. We go to the church, The pastor remembered me, and maybe a second time, maybe a third time, and finally he wanted to come visit us. So when he came to visit us, he said, among many other things, Are you going to heaven? I don't know. Do you want to know that you're going to heaven? Yeah. Well, say the sinner's prayer with me. So I said the sinner's prayer. I received Jesus and and gave my life to him and all that stuff. The pastor uh, prayed for. I believed that. And so we went to church. I was even listening to Christian radio. In fact, it was Star 99, but back then it was a Christian radio station with all kinds of teachings and, and uh, uh, sermons. And So I was listening to that, going to church. Finally, he came and visited another time, g- kind of getting more into our lives. And so here's this couple coming to church. So are you married? No. Oh, she is. Huh? No. Now, you, you, you're now, you're now, you're a Christian now. You, that's, that's sin. You cannot live that way. You cannot be living together if you're not married. Hmm. We didn't go back to that church anymore. <laughs> because self was on the throne. And so, stop going to church. Stop listening to Christian music. I wanted to do things my way. Self-directed life. And that went on until about February, March of 93. I was about 27 years old at that time. But now, it's because of my life being in such chaos. It was, it was at the, I was, I was, God was breaking me, and He broke me. But it was a battle, because in that brokenness, I wanted to end my life. My father committed suicide when I was 19. And now here I am at 27 or so years of age, looking at where my life led to me by self, being directed by myself. And it was horrible. I had done horrible things. And I was facing horrible consequences. I was facing prison. Really, for the things I'd done, I should be in prison for life. I should be stoned to death. So when I think about that, the consequence, and I think about how horrible I was, why should I live? I don't deserve to live. There's that false humility. I'm worthless. I'm no good. So I thought about the suicide, but then God intervened. Thank God for those seeds that were planted throughout my life. God intervened in that battle. And I had a thought, what a coward I would be if I were to end my life. You know, I can give my life to the Lord. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I, whatever happens in life, it doesn't matter because I'm living for God from this point on. And what I didn't know this at the time, but what really happened was what we read in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life. Which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I committed spiritual suicide. I put the end to self, but allowed Christ to live in me and I put Christ on the throne. Now, I must admit, there were times, if we look at that illustration again, There were times, many times, when I took Christ off the throne. Even after I did that prayer, even after I surrendered my life to the Lord, even after God was using me in in leading others to him, I still wanted to be on the throne myself. But thank God for his grace and mercy. He would help me see that and kick myself off the throne again and put Christ back on And I also look back and I see the times when I put self on the throne, where I want self to control things. My life begins to get chaotic and and out of sorts. And I begin to think bad stuff. But when I put Christ back on the throne and let him lead my life, then things become in order. And my mind is sane once again, serving and steve gallagher mentioned about that in the book as well and in fact he wrote a book and one of the sermons i preached way back years ago probably 18 years ago in the in the school was about the book he wrote on finding victory in serving the book is living in victory and we find victory in our own lives by serving the lord and really when we serve the lord who are we serving we're serving people and when we do that, it, it, it blesses us. Now that Jesus is on our, the, the throne of our heart, we want him to be our focus. Jesus was not concerned about himself. Jesus was focused on serving the Father, and in that he served others. And we can go through the Bible and see even in one day how Jesus served so many people, how he was so outward focused and, and concerned about others. And we, too, can do that as well. We have him living within us. All right. Our scripture regarding this serving is Philippians chapter two, verses three through four. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of heart, of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Notice the Bible does say there is a place in looking out for our own interests. So can cast that false humility aside. We do have to take care of ourselves, but we also have to take care of others as well. And that's when we receive a blessing in our own life. And finally, I want to read a paragraph from this book that really puts a lot of light into this serving. Steve Gallagher says this, when God calls a believer to eternal life, He also calls him into his service. The church is called the body of Christ. Every member has his place. The Lord has perfectly crafted a ministry that is suited to the temperament, abilities, and faith of each Christian. A.B. Simpson has said this, There is something you can do that no one else can do. There is someone you can reach that no one else can reach. Your talent may consist of natural ability, social influence, financial resources, position in the church or the world, or special opportunities brought you in connection with your life work. It is the sum of all the possibilities of usefulness in your life. God expects you to make the most of it for him and others and is going to call you to account at the coming of christ for the use you have made for your life Unquote. as servants of christ it is our responsibility to discover god's will for our lives he has given us the opportunity to be a blessing to others wendy shared that as she shared her testimony and look how god is using her now and, and I can relate to that with the ministry God gave me. What if I gave up? What if I killed myself back when I was 27? I wouldn't be able to do what, what's been happening in the ministry wouldn't be happening. And it's the blessing in that ministry in serving God. That's far better than anything I had in the former life. And God wants that for every one of us. He has a special calling, a way that. He wants to use us to serve him and bless others. And we will be blessed in the process. Let's pray. <clears> Heavenly <throat> Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love toward us. And Lord, you know our self. And in spite of that, you love us. And you want us to come into relation with you. But we know that you're resisting our self, our pride our rebellion, and you desire for us to cast that aside. We, Lord, desire to want to come close to you. We want that irresistibility. And so we pray that we would uh, dethrone ourselves and allow you, Jesus, to be the throne of our heart. We pray for those that may not even know you, that they would give their lives to you and they would find the blessing of that salvation. Of that eternal life and of a life that would include pleasing you and serving you and being a blessing to others. We thank you for this time and we give you the glory for it all in Jesus name. Amen. amen. Thank you. Thank you.